Welcome, everyone, to the first ever Cloud Zero Sports Podcast. I am your host, Stephen Sockle, alongside my co-host, Antonio Delaguzzo, a.k.a. Puggy. How are we doing today? I'm doing great. How are you, bud? I'm doing great, bud. So we got a great first Cloud Zero Sports Podcast episode for all of you. We're going to be talking some football, some basketball, some baseball, joined by special guest, Cloud Zero Sports contributor, Dustin Stern, and we're going to be talking some cool sports hypotheticals later on in the podcast. But, start it off, we're going to be talking about recent trade news that happened out in New York this past week. Sam Darnold is on his way to the Panthers for a sixth round picks this year and a second and a fourth next year. So let me ask you, Puggy, what is your opinion on this trade? Personally, I think this is a great trade for the Jets, but an awful trade for the Panthers. Wow. The the Jets have not been doing too hot these past few years with Darnold. And obviously, with them getting rid of their GM and their head coach, they believed it was time to get a new face of the franchise, in essence, almost. So by trading Sam Darnold to the Panthers for, if I'm not mistaken, a sixth round this year and a second round next year, it's a a great... Correct. And a fourth, correct. Oh, I did not know that. It's a great way to... Give a new, fresh kind of idea in the locker room. But on mm-hmm. the other hand, I believe this was not that great for the Panthers. The Panthers are already giving up on a quarterback they just gave a three million year, a three year deal to for like about sixty three million. Correct. And this quarterback, may I add, Teddy Bridgewater, threw for three thousand seven hundred thirty three yards for sixty nine percent completion. I don't see why they're giving up on a quarterback that fast when, A, they're coming off one of the weirdest years ever, and they're coming off a year where they just came with a new coach. Don't get me wrong, Teddy Bridgewater, he's not like some top-tier quarterback, but if you check the stats, he's gotten the job done. No, Not many quarterbacks can say they've thrown 3,500-plus, mm-hmm. so that's impressive. And then people are going to say, like, oh, he... He just doesn't win enough like because he went 4 for 11. People are forgetting. That division is unbelievable now because oh, Tom yeah. Brady's at Tampa. Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, that division was – I mean, the Super Bowl winning team came out of that division. The Saints were unstoppable. And just the, the year in general was just weird, you know. And But to echo what you said about Sam Darnold, it is hard to understand maybe why – Panthers made this move when they just got Teddy Bridgewater, but Sam Darnold is still young. He's 23, and the Jets had the 29th worst O-line last year after they drafted Becton to help protect him, but they still didn't have a good O-line. So I think, honestly, a fresh start is good with a new coach. He gets his favorite target in Robbie Anderson back, and then he'll also have a like great weapons. Um, in the backfield with Mike Davis and Christian McCaffrey. And who knows who they take with that number eight pick they have now. You know, we'll, we'll we'll do a mock draft in the future. But I'm thinking maybe leaning towards Kyle Pitts. I don't know. It depends. It'll be interesting to see. But um, one thing to note about Sam Darnold is his career completion percentage is 59.8%. Uh, and it was 596 last year, so about his career average, right? And the average completion percentage last year was a 66.4. And the average passer rating last year was a 96, and Sam's was a 72.7. So yes, while the Jets weren't great by any means, 
I don't know if the situation was in his favor. You know what I mean? I get what so, you're saying. Yeah. But to echo off the whole um, career, like the completion percentage for last year and the um, like the the averages, Teddy Bridgewater had a 69.1 last year. Uh, yeah, he I had above average. Like, yeah. I I just still it's just unfathomable to me like how they can give up on a quarterback so easily. Yeah, I think it comes down to like impatience in a way that not just the Panthers are showing, but just like any organization in the league, like these mm-hmm. days. I mean, Tua Tua just got through his rookie season, right? And they're already wondering is he the answer? It's been one yeah. year. It's been one year. I mean, overreactions seem to be becoming more and more common in the NFL. And usually, like, you know, us, the fans, are the ones. We're, we're the ones who make the overreactions. But now, like, it seems that the GMs are making these overreactions, too. I mean, obviously, they sit down and they, you know, watch more film than us. And they evaluate these guys. That's their job. But at the same time, you got to wonder, you know, Tua was the guy coming out of the draft. Everyone wanted Tua prior to the 2020 college season. Or the, I guess it's the 2019 college season, uh, leading up to the 2020 draft. But Tua, it was, the slogan, tank for Tua, was a thing. Everyone wanted Tua. And now they gave up. Or they didn't give up on Tua, but... They are willing is, to let him go, which yeah, is sad. They, yeah, like, you know, I, I guarantee you put the Miami GM in a room by himself, and you, you, you sit him down, and you ask him, hey, you know, between you and me, would you send Tua over for Matt Stafford? probably say yes just because winning now is such a huge thing like, it seems like no one wants to build for the future and if teams that do if they do it correctly they'll get rewarded in the future so i don't know what you what you think about that but oh no i completely agree with it and then with that whole statement i mean you could look at an aspect of maybe the darnold trade is to build for the future because even though robbie anderson's like not he's not the youngest receiver ever mm-hmm. they do have another young receiver in dj moore yes and McCaffrey, he he's still pretty young, so it's like they kind of do have a young offensive scheme, because they're probably gonna draft a tight end this year because their current tight end is Ian Thomas, who I've never yeah. even heard of before until this year. So some round, yeah. There's definitely room like that to show improvement on that team. So I guess you could say the Darnold trade's a statement for rebuilding potentially, but I I just don't get how you can give up on a guy you just gave sixty three million to. Yeah, but as we've learned, no contract is unmovable all of a sudden now. I mean, look at the Jared Goff and Matt Stafford trade. I mean, Jared Goff's contract right now looks like a mess, and Mm -hmm. they just shipped him off in Detroit, and that was that. And, you know, know, as a Lions fan, I'm happy for the return because we're building for the future. You know, our GM seems like he's finally taking on that rebuild process. I don't know. Do you think the Panthers are wanting to take – that rebuild process or do you think they truly believe that they'll put Sam Darnold in this in this role and contend for like a wild card spot this year I say they are going to try to rebuild as much as they can for the next two years and start a win now because if I'm not mistaken Tom Brady has two more years on his contract yes I think so they know they're not going to win anything as long as Tom Brady exists and is in that division still so they're probably trying to think let's get a young quarterback right now Still in his young twenties, see what they can do in the next two years. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it'd be interesting to see because I have nothing against the Panthers moving forward. I think Matt Rules could be a very good coach. I mean, they gave him like a gargantuan contract. I don't even remember what 
the numbers were, but I know it was crazy. People were like, wow, out of college and getting those that big of a contract. That was pretty crazy. But, you know, drafting a team around Sam Darnold is going to be important. And it leads me to the next NFL topic that I want to talk to you about, and that's positions that are coveted in the first round in the NFL draft. So we did some research, and what we came up with is the average amount of players taken the first round by position. So, for example, we went through the past five drafts, just because I think it's a good, you know, uh, base to use. So, for example, in the last five drafts, there were 18 total quarterbacks taken in the first round, which averages about 3.6 quarterbacks per draft in the first round over the last five years. Now, the Panthers hold the eighth overall pick. And besides quarterback, what do you think is the most coveted position to draft in the first round and maybe even specifically the top 10 if the talent is right? Are we saying in general for the Panthers' perspective right now? Um, let's just say in general. In general, like even when looking at these stats, I still have a like a biasness towards it. I will say offensive linemen is like one of the most coveted positions to draft in the top ten. Personally, yeah. like when you look at the pr- prior drafts and you see who's been drafted in the top ten as an offensive lineman, their offensive linemen you hear constantly. Quentin Nelson. While Andrew Thomas, he was drafted by the Giants last year. He hasn't been the greatest. He's been doing pretty solid. Like, you hear his name constantly. There's mm-hmm. just players like that. It's easier to kind of build an offensive lineman, like, to turn them to what they need to be, need to become, unlike the other positions in my eyes. Yeah. No, I, I completely... I'm looking at the offensive tackles taken specifically in the top 10, or it's offensive linemen in general. I mean, Ronnie St- Stanley for the uh, Ravens. Oh, that was a He's a big part of that Ravens offense, and when they lost him last year, while they did fine, it, it, I mean, it's still a big blow. No one's going to argue that it wasn't. Uh, in 2018, like you said, Quinn Nelson, and the dude's a, dude's a beast. He's, he's incredible. And then just last year, for example, in 13th overall, Tristan Wirfs. I mean, he was a huge part of that Tampa Bay Super Bowl run. And I agree with you completely about the offensive lineman being the most coveted position to take in the first round because you know me and everyone will learn shortly I'm a huge believer in the trenches battles are won and lost in the trenches you can Look protect the I, I, I was just about to get to that exactly if you have great protection on the O-line or you can rush the passer with great efficiency you're, you're going to win football games and, and as you just mentioned look at the Super Bowl look at Patrick Mahomes elite talent the dude was running for his life the entire time. Why? Because they only had, you know, their their three starting um, offensive linemen in the center. They were missing their two star tackles. I mean, and then Shaquille Barrett and JPP had a field day with him. And I agree with you with offensive linemen. I think second most coveted would be a defensive lineman. Like I said before, it all starts in the trenches. And if I'm looking at our uh, averages, the three positions that are not taken as often in the first round are running backs, tight ends, and safeties. There's an, uh, one and a half running backs taken in the first round per year in the last five years, about one tight end taken, and two safeties. And 
thinking about it, it, it kind of makes sense because besides like Jamal Adams or like TJ Hawkinson or Saquon Barkley or Zeke, right? You know, star names. You have to probably go on Wikipedia to find out who were the other safeties taken in the first round. I'm not saying that they're bad or anything, but they don't come to your mind right away. It's like, oh yeah, Joe Burrow was number one overall pick for, you know, for the Bengals last year, fall by defensive lineman and Chase Young. You know what I mean? It, it just stuff comes to your, your mind right away. So, yeah. no, go ahead. No, I, I agree completely with what you say. I mean, like, I feel like running backs, like, they're very nice. If you can take one in the first round, they tend to be really good. But the problem is, they're kind of fragile, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. Look at Saquon. Yep. He just tore his ACL this year. Now everyone's wondering, is he going to come back like how he used to? Look at Adrian Peterson. He tore his ACL. Luckily for him, he came back and became what he used to be. The problem is with all those like pre-existing precedents like of running back constantly getting injured, no team wants to take that chance with getting a running back in the first round. Right. And then going with the safeties, a lot of the safeties nowadays, they're kind of like corners. They're just corners you can't play an actual corner position, so they move them to the safety spot so then they just don't have to move as much. Right. Unless you're strong safety, who becomes basically a linebacker. Right, like, like an Isaiah Simmons. You know, exactly, like, that's why or, Isaiah Simmons dropped that one year. He, he was a guy who was projected to go maybe top five, but then everyone kind of took a step back and like, wait, maybe we could wait on him because they realized there's a lot of other people who can just do his job. Right, you know, box safeties, I feel like, are very, you know, very important, for especially for the run game. But um, there are, of course, exceptions like Jamal Adams, and I think for this year, for the tight end position, Kyle Pitts. I mean, oh, that guy's unbelievable. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's, yeah, he's incredible. So, you know, going back to the Panthers, you know, we'll do our official mock draft later, but I could see them taking Kyle Pitts if he was able to fall to them. It just it depends. I have to look at, you know, who's in front of them, because you know, I know a lot of teams are looking at quarterbacks, this year, which proves our point about quarterbacks, even though they are uh, actually they're fourth on the list, uh, offensive linemen, defensive linemen, and linebackers are ahead of them. But you don't just take any quarterback. You want to take, you know, the elite ones like the Joe Burrows, Justin Herbert, the Tua's, the Daniel Jones, the guys who have like proven themselves in college. So, but when if it was me, I would be looking for the trenches. Unless you're already, you know, solidified in that position, or you have something to work with. But I don't know. What do you think about what the Panthers should take? Don't get me wrong. I like your Kyle Pitts suggestion, but I just can't see him dropping to the number eight position. That's so, fair. like you said, build the trenches. So if they're lucky and Panay Sewell's there, they got to take him. That man had oh, the yeah. most unbelievable pro day I've ever seen. But if he's not there, there's still great options in Rashawn Slater from Northwestern or Elijah Vera Tucker from USC. Right. So they, in my eyes, they have to go O-line because that was also the number one problem for Sam Darnold in New York. He had nothing on his O-line except for Becton this year, and it still did nothing. Yeah, they're still 29th according to Pro Football Focus in terms of O-line grades in the entire league. But uh, it'll be interesting to see. It'll be an interesting uh, story to follow. But um, so... Coming up next, we're going to be talking about the MVP race 
in uh, the NBA. And we're going to be talking about this Drew Holiday contract extension. It's a big one. You don't want to miss it. Cancer is a disease that has unfortunately taken the lives of too many people. Unfortunately, Cloud Zero Sports just lost a supporter to cancer. From the Cloud Zero Sports team, we would appreciate any donations to support the Ham family during this time. Thank you and hashtag Brandon Strong. Alright, welcome back everybody to the Cloud Zero Sports Podcast. So now we are going to be talking some basketball. So, looking at the Kia MVP ladder on NBA.com, looking at the MVP race now. So just to give all the viewers at home, or I should say listeners, my apologies, all the listeners at home, what the ladder looks like right now as of April 2nd. We're recording this on on, uh, April 8th, so naturally the new one's going to be released tomorrow, but hey, it is what it is. That being said, number one is Nikola Jokic, number two is Damian Lillard, number three is James Harden, number four, Giannis Antetokounmpo, number five is Luka Doncic, followed by number six, LeBron James, number seven, Joel Embiid, number eight, Kawhi Leonard, number nine, Kyrie Irving, and number ten, Devin Booker. So, in in between our uh, our little commercial break here, Puggy was telling me he has a dark horse to win the MVP this year, and he refused to tell me. So this is going to be the first time I'm hearing this. This should be interesting. So, Puggy, who is your dark horse that you think is going to win the MVP? Not many people wanted to give this man credit. um, The key MVP ladder actually does have him as a mention. But Chris Paul from the Suns. If you compare... Steve Nash's MVP run to what Chris Paul is doing right now, I don't see why Chris Paul shouldn't be having more recognition right now. This man is putting consistent double-doubles almost with assists and points. I, you know what? It's a good point. They are, they are the, uh, what are they? They're the second seed in the West, a game and a half behind of Utah. You know, I, I could see it. I don't know if he will win it. But to say that he's not in a conversation, I think I think would be doing him disjustice. Even though I don't think he will win it. Um, as of right now, for me personally, I think it has to be Jokic. I mean, he's averaging career high in points. He's averaging a career high in assists, and he is averaging a career high in rebounds as well. And I could definitely agree with you on mm-hmm. that, honestly. But I want to say Harden because Harden's been taking the major load that the Nets have been given upon, especially since Kyrie and KD have kind of been going in and out, either with injuries or Kyrie's personal reasons. So I would personally say Harden's number one at the moment because he's brought his game to a new level that no one assumed he would do. Everyone always thought Harden's just this shooter number one, ball hog, all this and that. But when you check his stats right now, he's averaging 11.1 assists per games. Oh, yeah. Like, it's crazy. Like, he literally just flipped the switch on everyone. He said, I'm still going to score at least 20-plus, but I'm going to get at least double-digit, like, assists. Yeah, you know, and I think that is definitely worth noting, and I was going to say, I, I think Jokic, but to rule out Harden and to rule out a guy like Giannis is, is silly. In my opinion, I, I don't think I don't think this race is done by any means. 
And I like to say, I think Embiid can climb his way back up the ladder because he was number one for a long time. I think he can climb his way back up the ladder if he remains healthy the rest of the season and puts up the numbers that he was before. But as of right now, Jokic and Harden, I can definitely get behind that. I definitely think that for sure. But one thing I also want to mention that I think will come into consideration when people are voting on players is where they are in the standings. So right now, the Nets are the number one seed, but the Sixers are right behind them. It's a, it's a tight race between the two of them. Uh, Milwaukee Buck and, the Milwaukee Bucks and Giannis, they are in third place in the Eastern Conference. And going over to the West, the Denver Nuggets are in fourth place, and they're only a half a game out of the third spot, who is uh, the LA Clippers at this current uh, point in time. And uh, to credit your point about Chris Paul, like I said before, they are second in the West. Game and a half out of the first seed, um, the Utah Jazz. So, just to segue quickly, I just want to bring up how important I think seeding is, especially in the Eastern Conference. We can talk about the Western Conference after as well. If you look at the top three seeds, Brooklyn, Philadelphia, and Milwaukee, is it safe to say that they're, they're the best three? To, to move on. Oh, out by of the East. far. I, I can't see anyone else being better than those three. It's just way too hard to be better than the trios that actually every single team has in that top three. Mm-hmm. It's a good point. But I also want to point out how important the number one seed is, especially in the Eastern Conference. Because think about it this way. Let's say the season ended today, right? Uh, April 8th, 2021, season ends. Brooklyn is on top. Philadelphia's number two, Milwaukee's three. That's fine, right? So, mm-hmm. hypothetically, let's just for to make life easy, say that in the little playing tournament, the Celtics kept the seven seed that they were at, and the Knicks kept the eight seed they were at, right? So, in in a perfect world, I think we could probably agree Brooklyn would beat New York, Philadelphia would beat Boston, and Milwaukee would beat Miami. I mean, Miami could give them a run, give uh, Milwaukee a run for the money, but I think Milwaukee could could take them. Let's just hypothetically say that Milwaukee wins, right? So now, yeah. Milwaukee and Philadelphia have to play each other in the second round, right? Mm-hmm. Brooklyn advances. They have to. They get either Charlotte or Atlanta. Does that scare you? Cause it doesn't scare me if I'm Brooklyn. No, honestly, the only reason I would be scared is the Hawks with Trey Trey Young. But even then, Brooklyn has way too many people to the point that they could just shut down Trey Young. Oh yeah, I mean. Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, they don't have the star power like Brooklyn has. Or like Charlotte, for example. I mean, if they if they advance, LaMelo Ball may or may not be at 100%. I love Terry Rozier, but, I, you know, who, who's he going to guard? <laughs> like, Yeah, exactly. You know. like, there's not enough power on these, like, mid-seed teams to be, like, a team like Brooklyn, the Sixers, or the Bucks. Yeah, and then... So say for example Atlanta has to play Brooklyn. I mean that's good. I think that's going to be a pretty easy series. And now Philadelphia yeah. and Milwaukee have to kill each other just to go to Brooklyn in the Eastern Conference Finals. After Brooklyn gets a not necessarily cakewalk but a much easier opponent in the second round. You know. So I think the one seed in the Eastern Conference makes it out no matter who it is whether it's Milwaukee, Philadelphia or Brooklyn. I honestly believe that. As long as they're all healthy, you know, this is, of course, as of today. 
you know, given that everyone's healthy, but obviously one injury like KD gets hurt out for the year and beat out for the year, Giannis out for the year, everything changes then. But then you go to the Western Conference and it's a completely different story because LA, the Lakers, they're falling because yeah. of... Yeah, they're falling. They have no one there right now. Yeah, AD's hurt and LeBron's hurt. And the brand new signing and Andre Drummond already gone. Yeah, and they could easily fall down to like the sixth seed. You know, Portland could easily pass it. I mean, they've been falling as we've as we speak. So now you look at the seeding currently. Utah's one, Phoenix two, Clippers three, Denver four, LA Lakers five, Portland six, and for the sake of making everything easy, number seven seeds the Mavericks, number eight seeds the Grizzlies. Besides the the, the uh, seven and eight seeds, one through six, I think they all got a decent shot at it, honestly. They honestly do and these are teams that I could definitely see potentially winning it all. These teams, honestly, like everyone says it, the Western Conference is so difficult because these teams, like Calibers, it's unbelievable. You look at the Jazz, like at the number one seed, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, Joe Ingles. It's crazy there. You look at the Suns, Devin Booker and Chris Paul with DeAndre Ayton. They're figuring out their stuff. The Clippers obviously have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Denver Nuggets, they just got a star, like another star in Aaron Gordon, basically, with Nikola Jokic, who's the leading contender for the MVP, Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr. The Lakers, obviously, they just lost their stars, but they'll come back by the playoffs. And then you look at the Trailblazers, who have the number two leading person for the MVP race, which is Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, Carmelo Anthony, who's revitalized his career. These teams have so many capabilities, it's kind of disgusting how good it is yeah and you know, of course health is going to play a factor as well i think fully healthy the lakers probably advance but i mean they could fall as far as the sixth seed and then it gets a little interesting their first round matchup say they fall to the sixth seed will be against the clippers i mean that's not that's not a easy battle by any means the clippers always play them tough so to me I think the West is wide open. Again, injuries and health, they play a huge factor. And, of course, home court also will play a factor because they don't have the bubble anymore. But uh, yeah. it should definitely be interesting. So one other topic I just wanted to get to. Actually, one oh, yeah, sure. quick thing before I go on the next topic. Sure. About the Eastern Conference, I was actually reading something earlier. Even though you said the first seed might have an easier walk to the like finals and all, it's actually, in the past five years, it hasn't been since the 2015-16 season that the number one seed has made the finals. That's interesting. Think about it. Last year, the Heat were the fifth seed. They made the finals. The Bucks were the one seed then two years in a row before that. They haven't made the finals. Yeah. When the Celtics were the one seed, LeBron was the Cavs, basically, and he just said, nope, I'm going to go to the finals. Yep. And that's true. That's a good, that's a good point. You know... I do feel like this year might be different, just given where everyone stands. But that's that's a good point to bring up. I could definitely be wrong, but uh, I uh, I think I'll stick with my my pick though for the number one seed, just because home court with one of those three teams, and then like I said, the two teams having to kill each other, you know, in that second round, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. But speaking of one of those two teams. In the uh, top three, or sorry, speaking of one of the teams in the top three, the uh, Milwaukee Bucks just recently signed 
man they traded for to give Giannis some extra help, Drew Holiday, to a huge extension. Four years, $135 million, and it could reach up to $160 million with bonuses that, they, that don't seem very likely. But that being said, what do you think of this move? I wasn't a big fan of this trade when it first happened because they gave up a lot for Drew Holiday. And don't get me wrong, Drew Holiday is a very talented player. I, he leads the league right now in steals. He's doing better than what they received in um, Eric Blood, like what they gave, gave up in Eric Bledsoe. But the problem is he's 30 years old. He's not the Drew Holiday that the Sixers drafted. He's not the Drew Holiday that played for the Pelicans. This man is 30 years old. And to give him 135 over four years, I just think it's just insane. But at the same time, I mean, they're kind of in a frantic situation. They got Drew Holiday so that Giannis could re-sign with them. So currently, it's not the worst idea ever. They are producing really well with him. But at the same time, this Eastern Conference is just getting stronger and stronger by the second. And with a contract like this, the the Bucks are really restricting themselves because they have no cap room now. That is true. Yeah, but it's, it's almost like one of those things where like you have to make the move because you don't just dump off Eric Bledsoe and three first-round picks and let the guy walk the next year. Like, why? That makes no sense. Unless he's terrible. But Drew Holiday is not terrible, as we, as we all know. So, it's a huge contract, right? Let me just put it into perspective for you. So if you take four years, 135, you divide it by four, the annual salary is 33.5 a year. Based off of this year, this year only, that only puts him as the 16th highest contract in the NBA. Now this is as of this year, though. I'm just, you know, I'm just putting it in perspective for you. 16th highest player. You want to know who's ahead of him? Some notable players? Who? Or maybe some unnotable players that you wouldn't expect to be ahead of uh, $33.5 million. Tobias Harris. Kemba Walker. Mike Conley is 11th. Clay Thompson. Even though I'm not not dissing Clay Thompson, but... I don't think he's worthy of more than 33.5. Yeah, 35.3. And then Blake oh Griffin, my. before he got bought out, was 36.8. John Wall. That's just crazy. I know. John Wall, 41.2 million. So, in the grand scheme of things, it's still a lot of money. But compared to what everyone else is getting paid and what everyone else is going to be paid when bigger extensions kick in, it could be one of those things where it's a steal down the road. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get what you're saying. At the same time, we're not owners, we're not GMs, so maybe there's something in the league they're talking about potentially increasing the cap, so maybe the Bucks purposely did this in the hopes that maybe down the line there's a $25 million cap increase and they have room to sign someone else for free agency two years, you know? So I get what you're saying, but I don't know. I just feel like this was a very awkward contract to give to a player that's 30 years old. Yeah, no, I absolutely understand what you're saying, but it'll be interesting to see how he plays the rest of the year, and how he plays throughout that contract, because that contract ends when he is 35 if he accepts his player option. Well, actually, he will be a free agent at 35. His player option, he'll be 34 if he decides to accept it. But um, anything else you want to add to that topic? Um, I really would like to see Drew Holiday do well. I've, I've always been, as you know, I've been a fan of Giannis, and I'd like to see him actually make it to the finals for once, so... I just hope this contract does pan out. They see this point guard that they want to help Giannis get to the finals, but 
I just don't see it happening. It'll definitely be fun to watch, that's for sure. Alright, so coming up next, we're going to be talking some baseball with Cloud Zero Sports editor and contributor, Dustin Stern. Are you looking for a fresh cut this summer? Well, head over to at underscore Edwin the Barber underscore on Instagram so that you can enjoy the ETB experience. Edwin is a self-taught barber that will make you feel like a new person after a fresh cut. Welcome back to the Cloud Zero Sports Podcast. Joining me and Steven to talk about baseball is Cloud Zero Sports contributor Dustin Stern. Dustin, how are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Of course, anytime. Anyways, with opening week coming to an end, which team is surprising you the most, Dustin? Uh, I would definitely have to say the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, they're off to a 4-2 and two start in, in a division where they're really the odd men out. Uh, they have to deal with with Toronto, who has a, a powerhouse team this year. They finally got uh, you know, all of their uh, pieces in place. They have to deal with a Yankees team, which they've had to deal with. Uh, and then, and then a Tampa team who, uh, you know, you know, happily for them is, is not doing too well right now. Um, but I'm, I'm really impressed with them A four and two. They're currently, you know, it's only the first week with their, with their first in the AL East. Uh, it, it's just really impressive. And I think it has a lot to do with, uh, I don't know if it'll mean anything this season, but it's, it's really nice, uh, because it's showing Baltimore that their investments are paying off. They have all these young uh, players who are supporting their their winning right now, uh, and it, it's a really impressive performance. Um, you know, just every, everyone contributing, uh, potentially bringing up, uh, you know, an all-star catcher and Adley Rutschman, so that would be my team. Uh, but Steve, I'm, I'm interested to know who you think is, uh, is particular, uh, particularly surprising to you. Well, for me so far, I have to admit the Reds have taken me by surprise. You know, I figured they would be good. Well, I didn't think they would come out of the gate running like they have. They lost their first game of the season to the Cardinals, but since then they've won five in a row, and they are hitting like crazy. They are number one in the MLB in batting average, OPS, runs, and home runs, and they're number two in uh, on-base percentage. And that is mainly due to Nicholas Castellanos, and it's incredible hitting right now. He's hitting four thirty five. He's got four home runs. Uh, seven RBIs, and Tyler Naquin, he's holding his own as well. He's got four home runs and 13 RBIs, hitting a 316. You don't hear his uh, name as as much because you, all you're hearing about is Castellanos. But, I mean, this team has got a lot of talent behind them. You know, Eugenio Suarez, uh, they got Joey Votto. They uh, still have Mike Moustakis. Nick Senzel's a nice little young prospect. Uh, you know, Louis Castillo got pounded in his first outing, but in his last start, he went seven innings, struck out five. Didn't let let up a single run, only gave up four hits, and he, he had a very good bounce back outing. They'll get Sonny Gray back soon. So, to me, I think Cincinnati is by far, in my opinion, a team that's taken me by surprise in, in what could be a wide-open NL Central, even after losing Trevor Bauer. So, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm happy to see that they're doing well. It's great to hear. With that being said, Stephen... What team is upsetting you the most right now? Well, it is important to note that it is early in the season. So I, I, I don't want to come down on them too hard. But right now, it's got to be Tampa Bay. Uh, they're they're 2-4, and four, like Dustin was saying. You know, Baltimore is is a top team in the AL East now. Like, who, who would have thought, you know? it. They don't really have, like, as much production as I would have thought they would have had. 
Uh, I mean, Randy Rosarena is hitting 300. Uh, he doesn't have a home run yet, so he doesn't have the power that he had in the postseason. But again, like I was saying, you know, it's only one weekend. So that, that could easily change in the near future when, you know, more games start to be played and such. Um, you know, Tyler Glasnow, he's been, he's been doing well so far. Ryan Yarborough. Um, it's their second pitcher now, which is important to mention because they lost Blake Snell and they lost Charlie Moore, and those are two big, those are two big pieces to their World Series run just last year. And now they don't have him anymore. They, you know, they replace him with Rich Hill and Chris Archer, who are fine, but Rich Hill's 41 and Chris Archer's nowhere near his prime. Like, yeah, they'll be okay, but it, the team is concerning me a little bit. Although I do think they'll be fine, but I think they would have been doing a little better than 2-4 and four right now. But, uh, Dustin, which team is disappointing you right now? Yes, Steve. Uh, I would, for me, I definitely have to say, definitely agree with you on Tampa. I would have to say Oakland, though, uh, with a 1-6 record, uh, a team that, you know, I personally think could contend for a wild card spot. Uh, it, it's kind of an unacceptable start in the first week. And, and it's really like uh, a simple problem to, fig- uh, problem to figure out here. It, it, it comes down to their two best players have not been hitting Matt Olson is day-to-day right now. He's missed the last three games. Matt Chapman just got his first hit two days ago. It was a very nice home run, which is which is a, you know something that's a really positive, and I'm sure they'll figure it out, but it's not a huge surprise. Their offense, their two top hitters are not uh, coming through for them. Uh, another area that's uh, that might even be uh, arguably more severe uh, in contributing to their uh, to their losing in the first week is their pitching. Uh, you know, they have their ace, they have Bassett, but once you, you know, after Bassett, it, it's been a really rickety start. Uh, pitchers like Manea and Frankie Montes have just not been doing it. Um, they really need that pitching core to to get in line if they, you know, if they if they want to be above 500. Uh, Houston is coming and they're coming strong. I like to hear that from both of you, both great topics. With teams being discussed, what players have surprised you, Dustin? Yeah, players that have surprised me. So uh, Steve mentioned him before, but it's just hard not to. It's hard for me not to pick Nick Castellanos. He he's just he's just been unbelievable to start the season, and he's a top he's a top fifty top he's a top thirty or forty hitter to me. You know, in general, but and he and he did this last year. Just such a strong start. He's batting ten. He's ten for twenty three right now. Uh, he's he's just he's he's unbelievable. Four home runs. Um, he, he's literally he's the backbone of Cincinnati right now, and uh, I, I, he's he's at the top of the league. Um, it's really hard for me not to pick him. So for me, uh, Nick Castellanos is a decisive pick. Uh, but Steve, uh, I'm, I'm interested to know who you think is surprising you. Yeah, so I'm going to jump over to the AL East and talk about Baltimore again. Uh, a man by the name of Cedric Mullins. So not that anyone asked, but I drafted Austin Hayes as as a outfielder who I thought would be very productive for the Orioles for my fantasy team, and now he's on the IL. And then I was looking through, you know, who to pick up, and I realized, well, who the heck's this guy? It's Cedric Mullins for the uh, Baltimore Orioles. The man's hitting 480. He's got a home run. He's got 12 hits and, and 25 plate appearances. You know, this is his first season like first season starting in the majors to my knowledge at least actually he might have started in the in the majors last season but nevertheless this is this guy is outperforming his expectations last season he only had a 271 batting average he had a uh, only had an OPS of 723 this year I know it's early 
but he's got a 1239 OPS. I mean, that is insane to me. I I just I can't believe he's performing as well as this because this isn't really one of those players that you know you expected to do this well this early at the beginning of the season. So to me, I think it's Cedric Mullins. Um, but yeah, so I would pick him. Great conversation. Steven, for you, one more quick question. After seeing Cedric Mullins' um, uprising performance, would that have changed your Sox X-Factors before you wrote that article? Yeah, you know, I think I definitely think I could have put him in there for sure. Maybe even as a sleeper. I mean, to be honest, I didn't know much about him. You know, he wasn't really like a guy that you, know, you really talk about going into the season. And that's what I think is uh, pretty impressive about him. But uh, there's actually one other player I want to quick bring up because I totally forgot about him, but it, it just dawned on me as we were talking quick. Um, I got I, I don't I, if I butcher your name I apologize. Akil Badu, I believe that's his name. He yeah 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 the great center, hitter. Yeah, center fielder for Detroit. He is lining it up just as much as Cedric Mullins is, batting a 4.45. His first pitch he ever saw in his MLB career went over the fence, and then the next game he had a grand slam. The dude's only been playing baseball for I think two or three years, and he's he's hitting 4.55. He's got a 1600 OPS. So, I mean, he he's outperforming Cedric Mullins, but the two of them I think are just going nuts. But back to the original point about which player is underperforming. For me, it's Jock Peterson. When Jock Peterson signed for the Cubs. I thought that was a great sign. And it still can be. Don't get me wrong. I, I, it's, it's very early in the season. This is all just review after one week. But he's only batting 59. He's, he's hitting under 100. His OPS is 385. He just hit a home run. And he only has one hit on the season. Actually, I think he had another hit today. I don't think the stats have came in, came in yet on baseball reference. But only two hits yet on the season. I, I expected a little more from him. And I think he can do more, but... I mean, this this is a very slow start, but uh, who is the player that is uh, disappointing you so far, Dustin? Yeah, yeah, and I, and I just want to quickly, I want to echo you on that on that comment about Akil Badu. I mean, he's he's really in the first week been a sight for sore eyes for I mean a Detroit organization that's desperately trying to rebuild, and I mean, it's it's just nice to see it's just so nice to see something go right for Detroit right now. I mean. He, his contact is just fantastic. Uh, he's even kept a pretty low strikeout rate through the first week. I, so I just wanted to, I just wanted to put that out there. But a, a player that I'm very, that I, I mean, when I, I mean, to me, this was just like I just, I had to, it had to be him, and it's Marcelo Zuna, unfortunately, for the, for the, you know, the defending NL home runs leader, a guy who batted a three thirty six with eighteen home runs in two thousand and twenty. For him to start out the season two for twenty, batting a one hundred, that one hundred batting average, barely being supported on a crutch, it's it's just it's it's not good. And it's and and the, I think the biggest uh the biggest thing here, you know, the, the biggest uh, red flag is the strikeout rate. The strikeout rate, which is not good anyway for Marcelo Zuna in the high twenty percent area, is in the mid thirties right now. And I mean, it's. Do I, you know, I absolutely think he's going to improve. This is a, this is a elite hitter. This is someone who, uh, you know, can hit over, I, I believe, and I'm sure a lot of people do over 162 games. He can put up maybe not the 330, maybe not the, you know, insane over, over uh, a thousand OPS and the 
336 batting average, but it's something that will translate into an all-star season. And, and it just has to be, you know, I can't call this anything else but a, a poor start. Yeah, to, to me, I, I'm disappointed in the Braves' start. That's another team I could have mentioned was a disappointing start was the Atlanta Braves. I mean, they got swept by the Phillies in, in the opening series. And I'm a Phillies fan. I didn't even think that was going to happen. But, you know, he, he didn't – a lot of the guys weren't performing well, like Ozzy Albies got off to a slow start. I know Acuna had a good game a couple days ago. But the team's off to a slow start. But I think once the team gets going – as a unit, I think that the wins will start to come and the batting averages will rise as a team. Yeah, yeah. I'd have to agree with that, yeah. Well, I'd like to thank both of you for some really good points. It actually educated me a lot because I'm not much of a baseball enthusiast. Anyways, Anytime. we'd like to thank you, Dustin, for coming yeah. along on our podcast. Thanks we'd like for to having have you again, hopefully, in the future. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, uh, it was great being on. Yeah. All right, so in our next and final segment, we're going to be doing a little sports hypothetical. It should be interesting, so stay tuned. Want to listen to more fresh beats like this one? We'll head on over to 33 Ranger Music on SoundCloud. All right, everyone, welcome to the final segment for the Cloud Zero Sports Podcast. This is going to be a little bit of a fun one Send you out on your way. So we're going to be doing a hypothetical situation in sports. So these hypotheticals are courtesy of my fantasy guy on TikTok, all lowercase, all one word, my fantasy guy. So here's the first hypothetical he came up with, and I want to know what your thoughts are on this, Buggy. If you got Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Donald, and you put them on this year's past Mississippi State football team who went 3-7, and seven, and they lost 41 nothing to Alabama. And then you put Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Donald on a team, and your goal was to beat Alabama. You think that is more likely than if you put Ben Simmons in his current form on 16th seed Norfolk State, Norfolk State. Well, that's a that's a weird thing to pronounce at the same time. Maybe I'm just like I can't speak. Who knows, right? <laughs> but um, you had to put Ben Simmons on 16th seed Norfolk State. There we go. I said it. And they have to beat Gonzaga, who they lost, I think, 91 to 57 to. Which one are you taking to happen? I would personally choose the Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Donald. I think just the calibers of both those players is just drastic to change the whole team in general. You may like say, like, oh, they could send more rush towards Patrick Mahomes, but then think about it. This man during the Super Bowl almost ran like 300 yards without a line. So he definitely has the abilities to just scramble past people. And he is going against a college team, so he has more like sense of ideas of what to do. And then Aaron Donald, he's just a freak of nature. This man has won, I think, three Defensive Player of the Years in a row. He, he can push through a lot of things, like a lot of people. You watch his training day videos, it's insane. He literally could push like 500 pounds at ease. What about you, though? You know, you bring up a good point, and I understand that, you know, they, they going, them going against college kids would be a joke for the college kid. But here's my counter to that, because I'm actually going with the Ben Simmons one. 
And I'll tell you why. First, I'll say why I'm not going with the Aaron Donald, Patrick Mahomes scenario. Because there are only two people out of 11 on 11. You know, Aaron Donald is only one player on that Mississippi State defense, and Patrick Mahomes is only one player on that Mississippi State offense. Here's one thing to consider. On offense, I don't know who Patrick Mahomes is really going to throw to as a safety blanket. He doesn't have Tyree Kill. He doesn't have Travis Kelsey. He doesn't have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And he definitely doesn't have the protection that he had in the in the uh, in the NFL. It might even be worse than the protection that Mississippi State would provide him. And then if you look on the other side of the ball, Aaron Donald, they could just double and triple team him. And even if, say hypothetically, you know Aaron Donald was able to get to the quarterback Mac Jones, he still has Najee Harris, Devonte Devonta Smith and Jalen Wall to throw to, who are NFL-caliber players. They're going to probably go in the first round this year. So I just don't think the two of them are enough to make the difference. Now, on the other hand, Ben Simmons. You put Ben Simmons in his current form. He's, what, 25 years old, right? Correct. I mean, yes, you, you can make fun of him and degrade him all you want, like everyone on NBA Twitter does, right? <laughs> but, I mean, this is a guy who has playoff experience – and he's going up against 18 to 19, 20-year-olds. Who, who's going to stop him? Honestly, think, think about it this way. He can, who on Gonzaga is going to stop him? Suggs in a double team, potentially? Potentially. Someone's going to be open. All you got to do is just tell these guys to stay in the corner and let him go to work. If, if he's getting double teamed, he'll bounce it out. I mean, he could drive to the paint with ease. I just don't know who's going to stop him. And then on, on the other side of the ball, Ben Simmons is a defensive player of the year contender. Jalen Suggs isn't going to do anything. You put him on Jalen Suggs, it's over for the poor guy. He's not performing at all. There's no way they're going to be able to shake him. And his just his presence on defense, I think, will be enough to carry them. It's only one game, too. And one player has much more of an impact in an NBA game than in in, in a football game. So, for me, I'm taking Ben Simmons on Norfolk State. That's just my personal opinion. Because I just think he can take over the game. And I'm not really sure who's going to stop him. On I could see your side on this. But I actually kind of have a counter argument to that. In both sports, obviously, it comes down to still also coaching. Like, who can outcoach the other. But, if you think about this then. If that... if um. Gonzaga plays like a different type of defense because we all know Ben Simmons doesn't have a jump shot. So they don't have to worry about him outside the paint. They play like a 2-3 against him. I don't see much happening. Because we all forget this, but Gonzaga had a 7-foot center. If Ben Simmons drives in and tries to go up, I won't be shocked if that 7-foot center just blocks him. And then, like you said, you he has he would, he could just drive in and kick out. But then you're putting a lot of faith into a 16 seeds players to consistently hit that shot. I would I would think you would be more relaxed knowing that Ben Simmons is running the show on your team, and all you gotta do is just hit routine jump shots because everyone's focused on him. And with even if the the seven foot guy there, he's six ten, and I guarantee you he's stronger than him too. He's gonna he's gonna bully them. I just don't see 
how they wouldn't win, honestly. I That's just me personally. I would take Ben Simmons in that situation the entire time. But, Fair enough. There's one more hypothetical I want to go over. And this one's a little more interesting. If you could put any player in their current form on your favorite team, we'll do football, basketball, and baseball. Help your team win a championship. But it can't be Patrick Mahomes, can't be LeBron James, and it can't be Mike Trout. Who are you putting on your favorite team to help them win a championship, starting with football? Who would you put on the Giants? Definitely Aaron Donald. The Giants, they, in this past free agency, they've, they were able to add like their offensive weapons and Kenny Galladay, so I don't think they need to help their offensive side at all. Their D-lines definitely need some work for quite a while, so I feel like a guy like Aaron Donald, who's like won multiple defensive player of the years in a row, he could bring their team over the edge by a lot. How about you, though? What about for the Lions, bud? Yeah, see, here's the thing. Honestly, they're not in, they're not in any place to contend right now. So I have to go with a quarterback. I can't pick Mahomes. So I'm thinking Russell Wilson because he's been one of the most underrated players, in my opinion. And I think that even though this Lions team isn't good, <laughs> honestly, they're just not good. <laughs> they're you know, not. It's going into the season. I think Russell could put them in position to make to win a playoff game. Honestly, Forget the championship part. I think the Giants have a better chance of winning the championship in your hypothetical scenario than the Lions have winning a playoff game, to be honest with you. It's it's tough to put one player on the Lions right now and have them succeed. I just I don't think they can do it right now. But if I had to pick, I would go with Russell Wilson because I think they, he probably can give them the best shot win. Yeah, that's probably re- the best choice, yeah. honestly. And the reason I'm not taking Tom Brady is because... They, they, they age in this scenario, too. So Tom Brady's going to be 49 playing for the terrible Lions. The, the poor guy, I just, <laughs> I, I, I uh, wish the best for him. You just know. can't put him on the, the Lions, man. That's just uh, torture. He, may, maybe after one, I, I don't see it. The Lions are just bad. I, I, I can't. <laughs> they're just really bad. I don't think but... Tom Brady could fix the Lions. I, I don't think they're in a situation to be fixed right now. Maybe in three years, but... But he'll be like 40, I mean, what, 7, 8. It's too late. <laughs> they're, they're done there, for. There still is another quarterback you're forgetting, bud. Deshaun yeah, Watson. Oh, Deshaun Watson. Yeah, well, Deshaun Well, he Watson. may be having a lot of outside issues yeah, right now. A, yeah, it's a touchy subject, isn't it? It is. But, I mean, the man's talent is still speaks yeah, for himself. Well, talent only. Talent only. Talent I, only. We don't, it, we don't address other worth, stuff. worth uh, considering. But I'll, I'll stick with Russell Wilson, given everything. But how about for basketball? Who are you putting on the Knicks? Steph Curry. I mean, the mm-hmm. Knicks for the longest time ever have always needed a point guard. Steph Curry revolutionized what it is to be a point guard and the game in general. You have kids in high school just shooting up threes from the half court. This man just changes the whole team's demographic. He can literally give you another 15 to 30 points just because of how he could shoot a three. Oh, yeah. And, you know, one thing I want to say about Steph Curry is that everyone's growing up and they want to be a Steph Curry now. And in, in in a market like New York, I just think the, the possibilities are endless for them in the next five years. I think, I think they could absolutely get a championship. For me, Kevin Durant. 
because That'd we be get nice that. Addition. Yeah, yeah, because we get that. We get that scoring threat, that clutch man who can take over, and we don't have to worry necessarily about Ben Simmons. You know, not being able to shoot because now you got to worry about Embiid. You got to worry about Tobias Harris who's having a great year, and now you have to throw in Kevin Durant. And you still have to worry about Seth Curry, too. Hey, don't forget Danny Green, man. And Danny Green. Well, he's a sixth man in this scenario. Someone's got to go to the bench. You yeah, know? that's true. This so, is a real question, though. Would you put then Katie at the three or the four? Probably the four. That's fair. Put Tobias at the three. Just because of what the game is turning into. It seems like power forwards aren't like the traditional Tim Duncan like they used to be. They're more yeah, like Kevin Durant and LeBron's now. Whoever could stretch the floor the most. Yeah, pretty much, exactly. So, I'm taking Kevin Durant. So, last but not least, baseball. I'm going to guess, since we can't pick Mike Trout, I'm going to guess that we're probably going to have the same answer here for our teams. Well, who would you put in the Yankees? Well, I'm not much of a baseball enthusiast. I know the Yankees have always needed more pitching rota- like rotation help. So, obviously, Jacob DeGrom. You just see his stats and like what he does. I don't think there's ever been a week where I haven't heard Jacob DeGrom's name in the headlines. This man oh. is unbelievable. He he, it's just his stats. His like career highs. It's unbelievable. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, he he won the ERA. I mean, he won the ERA. Yeah, he won the Cy Young. And his wins, I'm pretty sure he had less wins than he had losses. I mean, but he he's incredible because he has no support. You put him on the Yankees, you're gonna get support. And I would also pick Jacob Degrom for the Phillies because. Like, my grandfather and I always say, pitching is what wins these titles. You know, good pitching rotations are just scary. Now, obviously, there are scenarios where hitting, you know, is the main factor. But when you look at any championship team, I guarantee you, they have the better pitching. Look at the Astros. I mean, while they may have cheated, look at that pitching rotation. You had Verlander and Garrett Cole. Unbelievable. Garrett Cole wasn't on that team, actually. Really? He he was the year after. Yeah, Holy it was uh, right. it was Verlander. It was Keuchel. Oh, I remember. Yeah, Keuchel, Keuchel was they, he was nasty back and, then. And Charlie Morton. They had Charlie Morton too at the time. Even oh, that's still that, still nasty. It's insane. It's still, just insane. Oh, still <laughs> extremely nasty. Yeah, you're thinking of 2019 when they lost to the Nationals and they had Cole Verlander and Granky that year. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, the, right. that was the year you were, you were thinking of. But regardless, pitching is the I, I, I'm a big pitching enthusiast when it comes to building a baseball team. But, uh, anything else you want to add to that? No, I mean, it's, I just, I completely agree with you. I mean, I'm not going to really say much about the MLB because I don't know much, to, I don't have much to say about it since I don't know much, but. That's, that's fair, man. That's where Dustin came in, man. We had a nice little conversation. It was very fun. Yeah. But, uh, in general, I enjoyed this. I, I think it was a good first run. I don't know about you. Oh, definitely. Uh, I mean, it was a good experience. We, you and I both understand what we'll have to improve on for next time, but hey, it's a learning process, and we both had our fun. Oh, yeah, I, absolutely. I think as time goes on, just like with my um, blog post, you know, <laughs> same for you for, for the podcast, we're, we're, we're going to get better at it. We're going to figure out our, our flow, and uh, I'm excited to continue this. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the first ever Cloud Zero Sports podcast. I hope you all enjoyed Be sure to be on the lookout for more blogs on our website, cloudzerosports.com. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at Cloud Zero Sports. Have a great day.